With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. I'm going to be honest, I didn't expect to be saying this when we were in the studio last week. Manchester City are back on top of the Premier League. Though in fairness to me, we did record last week's show before Liverpool drew with Leicester. And don't forget, I'm the ultimate pessimist as well. So how are your nerves? Because on today's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be looking in depth at how it's all shaping up at the top of the table. Okay, so City have played a game more than Liverpool, but there's something to be said about having points on the board over games in hand. Also on the show, we'll be looking at chance and fortune, as it seems to have all gone to Merseyside so far this season. And we'll be previewing Sunday's big game with Chelsea. Howard Hawkins back with us this week and he's got Barney Ronnie in his sights and we'll have your questions in Ask the Panel as well. Get your comments and questions sent in for next week at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter or through the website bluemoonpodcast.com I'm David Mooney and with me in the studio this evening we have City fan and Twitter superstar Gaz. Hiya. And we've got from the Manchester Evening News Simon Bakowski. Hello. How are you both doing? Are you well? Lovely. We better start off with the title race because uh, it, it all seems to be hotting up since, uh, since the last show. Um... First question, I suppose, is is it's different pressures, isn't it, guys? Games in hand to points on the board. What? Where do you stand on that? Well, you, you you rather have the games kind of won and other teams could catch you up, or the fact that Liverpool could mathematically still just overtake City is that that make you nervous? You'd rather be in Liverpool's position, wouldn't you? I think. I mean, if it was a case of two points or something, then maybe not. But. Just being level with a game in hand, you'd prefer the game in hand, wouldn't you, really? Well, I was going to say, Simon, when you think back to... We talked about it on the Patreon show, the the, the 2014 title. That was... A, a lot of that Liverpool kind of... The the kind of rising storm around them was the fact that they were top and running away with it. But when you took City's games in hand into consideration, they were only actually a point clear at one stage. Yeah, but it, it was it was one hell of an effort from City, wasn't it? With, like, Yaya up at Newcastle and down at Palace and... Like you've got to stay properly cool to to win those games, um, and that that's what it feels like at the minute. Like either team can slip up, um, whereas a few months ago it was just like both of them winning every week. Now it's kind of who's not going to lose? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, well, at the turn of the year, like you like you talking, like the the gap could have been eleven points at one stage had had Liverpool won at the Etihad. It's now down to zero. Obviously, with that extra game, what what does that say about the last few weeks, guys? Um, I think people were wrong to assume that it was going to be a season like last season that 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 either well that Liverpool would go and win you know rack up a ridiculously high tally. They've been the best team in the league this year, and the the you know the the, the game in hand and taken into account shows that. But it's not often team people just assume that they're going to win every game, and I don't think I've never really assumed that. It's just a case of whether we can drop less points than them, really. Um, so I'm not surprised because it's not, like I said, it's it's more like a regular season rather than one where one team steamrolls it and gets an insane amount of points. I was going to say, Simon, do you fancy anybody to pull away this season or, or is it just going to be like this now till, till the final weekend? Um, I'd say no, but at the same time, I refuse to believe Spurs are in the title race. <laughs> so I need them to sort of... I need Liverpool and City to pull away firmly enough from Spurs, but... They Not. could finish second, couldn't they? Spurs. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't like even. But not be in the title. Yeah, exactly. Race, yeah. yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think it kind of shows which maybe we didn't sort of praise enough at the time. Um, how good City's second half of the season was last year, like after they lost to Liverpool, um, at the end of January, because like now both teams look to be stumbling a bit. And yeah, it's hard to win every game. That's why no one ever does it. Mm. How important is it or how decisive will it be in, in this running that City are in four competitions compared to Liverpool's two? That's the biggest aspect of it, isn't it, really? Yeah. Uh, but it might help us 
to a degree. Uh, I mean, we're not going to we're not going to be in the League Cup after you know after a few weeks' time. Just reminding myself, I need to get this ticket sorted. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and Liverpool had a big break, didn't they? Before that, before they they didn't they have just have like ten or eleven days off before they had a dodgy result. So I'm not. Yeah. It, it can kind of work yeah. against you as well. Um, I think the the FA Cup draws a good one because you can probably rest a few players against Newport. Um, so I think I think it is important. I think it is a factor, but it it could be a positive factor as well in in, in some way. It's an opportunity yeah. to build momentum. Do you reckon? Yeah, and and I also think like they've had Arsenal, Everton, and Chelsea in a block, and then they've got three games that are non-league, and then maybe they can go back and. Maybe they can switch off and on. It it does open up the idea that because they're not going to have a perfect run until the end of the season, that you know more of those games could be in the league, but they could be in could be in Europe. I'm quite looking forward to City drawing Liverpool in like the Champions League quarters, <laughs> and then don't do this to like, us. Whoever wins, you say, yeah, this will help them kick them on until the end of the season, and whoever loses, going, yeah, we're out of the competition. This is going to help us win the league. It's um, you, you can see it any I, way you like. I just don't think I could cope with that, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, one final question on, on the actual race itself. Gaz, are you enjoying it having a bit tighter this season or would you rather go back to just, just steamroller and everything? Um, I think I'd... I think I'd rather just win it. Yeah. Um. See, I, I, th- I think that as well. And, and people have been saying to me, "No, no, it's it's, it's better. It's more exciting." I'm like, what are you on? It was really, it was a lot of fun last season. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'd rather. <laughs> I, think, I think I think I'd rather just win it. I think that's the, probably the best way to put it. Yeah. Now then, looking at uh, at the games against Everton and Arsenal, uh, Simon, I want to I want to ask about this because it happened at Newcastle and it happened against Arsenal. Although against Arsenal, they went on to win the game. Do you feel that there's a bit of a problem with City when they get a very early lead or or a, a lead early in games that they then end up a little bit passive for the next 20 to 25 minutes or so? Yeah, you've kind of been unable to put your finger on it this season, but they did it in those games. They did it against Leicester when they took the lead, against Palace when, when they took the lead. Newcastle seems to be like the freakiest of them all. Like I'm still not sure how they scored against Newcastle because... The the rest of the performance was just so disjointed and uh, and everything that you you did sort of like they fully deserved to lose. Whereas some of the other games they were slightly better in, but you just feel that they they have these moments where they collectively switch off for twenty minutes. And in the same way that against Everton, you never felt like they were gonna concede. But it's funny that against Everton, it was a very tough kind of. It was a tough performance for for long spells of that game, and City just controlled it. Yeah. Even though they did, if they'd scored early, would it been would it have been a different story? Well, it was kind of like Everton were constantly charging at them, but City were like the adult sort of holding them by the head about <laughs> three yards away from the body because they they were just like we've got this and everything Everton threw at them they they had whereas. I think sometimes they just switch off. They had a couple of long balls at the end, didn't they? And you thought, oh, I'm gone. The defence looked yeah. a bit stretched yeah. at the times. But, yeah. yeah, but I don't think Edison had anything to do, really. No. I think Kyle Walker gave him a bit to do towards the uh, the end of the game, but that was... Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a one-off moment, wasn't it? I mean, it's not really a Guardiola trait, though, is it, Gaz, to have that, that kind of moment of passive play and, and, and kind of fade away a little bit. So why, why does it keep happening this season? Um... I think, like, just think about the Arsenal game in particular, though. I mean, they're not. It's not a great side. It's it's, it's a half deep. It, by Premier League standards, they're a decent side. You're gonna have twenty minute spells when you're not on top of it. You can't dominate every game for ninety minutes, particularly if it's against another team, which is you know got a few decent players. And I, I, I was a bit surprised actually when I sort of had a look at what some of the reaction was at halftime, the Arsenal game, because I didn't. I thought we were better than. Most people were a lot more pessimistic than I was actually about the first half. I thought that we were still the better side. But... I, I really didn't. You know, yeah. I, th- I thought at, at half time, I thought we'd had a good kind of 10, 15 minutes at the start, scored, and then just mm, existed for a bit. No, I thought like we were on top. I mean, they didn't really create anything, did they? Except for, well, they, except for the goal, obviously. <laughs> um, but besides that, I can't ever remember being particularly worried. And I felt as if like we had most of the ball in midfield. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, we weren't great, but you're always just going to have these moments. We had, we had them last year, didn't we? You know, in, in, in big games. You've, 
I guess. Yeah, I guess it's just sort of how you impose yourself again, and we managed to do that. Didn't we? I want to talk about. I mean, I I, I hate bringing up the. Uh, we're, we're going to look at the uh, at the aspect of luck and good fortune a little bit later on in the show. But uh, again, two games have gone by this week with two penalty incidents that. I'm going to argue that another team, maybe from Merseyside, maybe wearing red, might have got if uh, <laughs> if it had happened in front of the cop. Um, do you feel like City not getting the benefit of the doubt sometimes? I didn't. I, I must admit, so I was just saying this as coming in, I only saw the last half hour of the Everton game because the stream before that was so choppy. So I literally didn't see the one last night, so I can't pass comment on it. Um, I was there and I'm not sure I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> the Gund- the Gundogan one? Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, right, okay. The, Carry on. <laughs> the Arsenal one, the Aguero one, yeah, it was probably a penalty, but it wasn't like... It's one of them where it's like... It's far away from the ball, isn't it? So it's easy not to give those ones. Have we... I don't think we've had bad luck. I think I think Liverpool <laughs> have had a fair share of good luck, <laughs> it seems. But... Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't particularly think we've been unlucky. Um... No. Oh, well, we're going to come to that a bit uh, later on. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on a few uh, few individual players now to, uh, to to kind of move forward. Uh, Bernardo Silva, first off, has been one that's been catching the eye this week. Um, I, probably doesn't get the praise he deserves, Gus. He's getting lots of it at the moment, isn't Guardiola? Didn't Guardiola say he's the, num- he's the only guaranteed starter at the moment? Um, a lot of the fans seem to really appreciate it. I, I think the big question is with him at the moment is if it was a Champions League final tomorrow and everyone was fit, which what would your midfield to be? And for me, and I mean, I I I can't believe I'm saying this, but I wouldn't have David Silva in my first eleven. I'd probably have Bernardo and Kevin De Bruyne. Just on, I mean, like there's there's a coward's way out, isn't there? Where you could put Bernardo on the <laughs> yeah. wing and, 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 and play and play them all, but I'm not not into that either. So um, he's, he's better in the centre. So. Yeah, that's it as well. Like, we started him last season, didn't we? We played most of his games in the first half of the season, and he out oh, wide, and he looked ten times better when he when when he was sort of brought inside. Uh, I don't know. I think he's getting. I think he's getting plenty of plenty of praise. All right, maybe I'm wrong um, about that. But uh, I'm I, sorry, I, I don't want to say completely. He torpedoed early yeah, on yeah. in the show. Um, <laughs> you mentioned David Silva, though, Simon. How how is Bernardo different to David Silva? Because the, the the comment all the time ever since he arrived was he's the he's the heir to David Silva's it's throne. Ten, it's ten years younger, isn't it? But I mean, well, there is that. <laughs> but but yeah. what what does, he, what does he do? That's a bit different. I tell you what, they're getting a bit too similar looking. I quite liked it while David was bald. And you could easily spot them apart on the pitch, whereas now it's kind of, which one is that? Um, But Bernardo just kind of has that added drive and he's been like at Anfield, he was deployed a bit further back and in the game um, against Liverpool at the start of the year. He's sort of like a Duracell bunny. He's just going to run and run. I was going to bring up his work rate. That's that's one thing. that He's also got this amazing ability to sort of come out of every 50-50 with the ball, even when he's up mm. against like six foot six giants or massive frames. He's just like, he just knows the one moment to come in and and get, I think he, he's just like at the peak of his powers at the minute. And is he 25 or something like that? I don't like think that? he's even that, isn't he? He's, he's, he's younger, a lot younger than right. you think, isn't he? Yeah, I think... Um, it's, it's the beard and the hair that make you think he's a lot older than he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you kind of forget that he, he won a Portuguese league title and he won a French league title. So he's um, he's a lot savvier than than you think. Um, and I I would agree that I think you'd play Bernardo and De Bruyne as your, your central two, certainly at the minute. Interesting. Well, uh, the other the other player that um, again has been stat padding this week, Sergio Aguero. Uh, only the three against Arsenal, all of them tap ins, obviously. Um, I mean, it's, it's funny we talk about about tap ins, but City seem to engineer a disproportionately high number of open goals. Gus, oh, I think that's what I got his last time was there a few months ago. I think it's just because um, it's just it's just a product of the way they play, isn't it? That they. They pass the ball. Well, they manage to keep hold of the ball for sustained periods just outside the opponent's box, which pushes the opposition back into the box. So it just means that you're not having to take. They don't take shots early, do they? They and and they just push the opposition back until the point where you get where the the chances the the, the chances the chances in the six, two yards in out, the six yeah. yard box. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, they're not, yeah, they're not, they're not looking to force a chance. They're just going to wait for it. And uh, they switch play so well as well, don't they? And when they switch play, they tend to be Aguero on his own in the side of the goal. Should should the third one have stood? Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I I get confused with the, the handball rule and whether it, it's because it, was, it wasn't but, intentional. So well, exactly. I mean, from one replay, it looked like he'd scooped like, it, nudged in. it in. Yeah, but then it comes off his side, doesn't it, and onto his elbow. Yeah, was going in. Fair, fair enough. This is what Pep Guardiola had to say after the game with Everton on Wednesday night. We could have been one month ago ten points behind with the game against Liverpool, and four, six, seven days ago we could be seven points behind, and now we are top in the league. What is the lesson that never give up? So that is the best advice for all athletes. So you, everything is in your hands. Try to win the games because the life change immediately, in all senses. So. That's why the necessary to look to take a look at the tables. You know, now it's prepared well, recovery well, and prepare the game against Chelsea. That is what we have to do. Are you interested to see how Liverpool react now with them having to chase you? It's a question for them. So now, of course, they have to play the game in Old Trafford this game. So we will see. So we are leaders, but we want more game. So we will see when finish that period. Twelve games to play, a lot of points, and I think. We are going to drop points, hopefully as less as possible, and the opponents are going to drop points. So I don't think so. Any team is going to win 12 games in a row. It'd be quite a statement though, if you got through this week with maximum points, because this looked like a really, really crucial week for the season. Really, uh, really, we start well, Arsenal and uh, and here Everton, but now come a, a, real, a big, big test, a big bull. <laughs> so, Chelsea is a. Uh, an exceptional team with seven days to prepare that game and I we will try we have to prepare well but of course it's a a real final for us I think so this this weekend if we are able to to take these points we are going to make a huge step forward that is a concern though than having a whole week to it's what it is so normally when you play for competitions that's that's happened so so that's happened so when I, I, I said many times when I was aboard in, in Munich or in Barcelona, I always listen, read and listen what the old managers like Sir Alex Ferguson and Rafa Benitez and the other manager always complain about the schedules and and nothing happened. So that's why I arrived here and said I understand the situation and if we would play just one competition our the schedule will be easier, will be better. When you play four, you have to adapt. So when the Premier League say you have to play that day, we go there, we take the bus, the plane, and in the right time, in the right moment, we play the game. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Pep Guardiola speaking after the game with Everton. Um, he, he lavished praise on uh, on a few players in there as well. I want I want to talk about the the man who scored the goal, uh, Simon Emerick Laporte, uh, in the the end of the first half because all this all the talk this season again it feels it feels from the outside watching in it feels like a lot of people have been talking about Van Dijk and his influence at, at Liverpool. Laporte's done that at City as well. Yeah, he's been really good. I think. Him and Van Dyke have been in a class of their own, but everything Van Dyke seems to do seems to sort of be trumpeted and and praised as sort of he's the best defender since sliced bread and the best in the world, better than Julius Caesar at invading. And he's <laughs> you know soon he's going to just have the title of God. But Laporte is just quiet. I don't really know why people don't notice Laporte, but. I, I think, I, I don't know, I, just a theory, I don't, I'm working this up as we speak, so this might be absolute rubbish, but is, could it be because that he's, he's he seems quite a quiet and unassuming person? He doesn't seem, he, like, he, he's the sort that is a leader, but quietly, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but you, like, he's not that quiet on the pitch, and he gets involved, and he's often the one, if City stick it in the box, he's heading it in more often than not. Um so I don't I don't kind of get I, I, maybe there's, there's just not as much sort of lionization of the city defense and he's not like a a leader for the cop like like Van Dyke is and it and as well he doesn't speak as much after games um, and when he does he's usually not that interested in, in it's usually because he's been asked to speak rather than because he wants to um, whereas Van Dyke 
quite happily offers his time. So that tends to get you on like the good side of the journalists who will then say nicer things about you because... Because <laughs> you're giving them stuff to you've do. You've spoken yeah. <laughs> to them, yeah, and sort of kept them in a job. So so maybe that doesn't help. But it, it's, it's strange because he's had a real impact on the defence this year. He's kind of been what Otamendi was last year. But better. Well, the, the stat but, came out at the end of at, at the end of the the Everton game about you know Laporte's one of the players that's made the most passes, and that was Otamendi last season, guess. Yeah. Well, Liverpool have just got more fans. That's why more people are invested. <laughs> <laughs> They're just more invested with Virgil Van Dijk. I mean, that's the long and the short of it, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, Laporte's been really good. I mean, um, uh, I, I, I guess that's kind of tailed off a bit with the sort of bit of sort of indifferent form over the winter as well. And it, it sort of broke up that partnership as well, hasn't it, with Stones, which is kind of... Yeah. I mean, the, the narrative was that those two were so good together and that he broke he broke them up for, for well, for reasons best known to himself and um, that's probably why that sort of tailed off a bit. But, yeah, he's he's, he's been great. I suppose as well, like, in terms of narrative, like, um, Laporte came into a team which was already running away from this, with the with the title, whereas Van Dijk's been the... Um, one of the key figures in Liverpool well, actually keeping clean sheets, I suppose. Yeah, and you know they've 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 definitely sort of had a step improvement since he's joined. And you yeah. can't say the same thing about Laporte, could you? But it do, does just boil down to how fashionable you are as a club. Nobody gives, you know, outside of you know, uh, City yeah. gives a toss about Emmett Laporte. It's just you know, <laughs> we just all need to learn how to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's look uh, further across the defence at Carl Walker. Um, we haven't asked the panel question a few weeks ago from uh, from Curtis Simpson, who he basically said that that there was something up with Walker's form this season, and we all, we all rubbished it in the studio for a few weeks after we rubbished it again and again and again. And since that that, that the questions come in, I can't help but notice that Carl Walker's been pretty much out of form this season. I've always thought he's been he's had a dodgy season. The, that game. Tottenham is really that one always sticks in my mind. Where, every, mm. in fact, every fullback was just lost yeah. his mind on that <laughs> on that game. From, uh, from See, I put it down to that, that that Spurs game. I just put it down to the, it was pitch, the pitch, wasn't and, it? Yeah. yeah. And the other weird thing that happened after that game is everyone's sort of mind seems to be made up about Benjamin Mendy because he had a dodgy night that night, and now all of a sudden you, you can't trust him, and you know he's he's not much of a defender. <laughs> but I just think. It, it seemed to be fine going into that game, and that was a, TV games do odd things, don't they? Representations. If if a game's on like Monday Night Football, people sort of draw a lot of conclusions. Um, sorry, what were we talking about? Carl Walker. Carl Walker yeah. he's been shy. <laughs> <laughs> well, with, with more erudite analysis, Simon, can you can you explain why? Or um, yeah, he's been not very good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. I think he came back too soon. To be honest. You know, it, it's very like, very tub-thumping thing at the start of the season. Like, oh, I'm going to come back from the World Cup with three days rest. Well, I'm going to come back with two. And <laughs> it was like a big fight to get back. And I don't know, maybe they they feared that Pet would be standing there with his watch looking very upset at them um, if they came back late. But it was, uh, he didn't have very many days off. I think it was five and... That's got to have, got to have an effect. If it doesn't have an effect on your body, then it's got to have an effect on your mind. And he scored that uh, screamer against Newcastle, didn't he, early on, which kind of bought him a bit of time. But defensively, he, he's not been. He's looked like more like the player I thought he was at Spurs, like not much of a footballer, but more of an athlete, really. Yeah, and like, like and I, I completely changed my mind about him last year when he was just absolute, you know, mustard all year. Um, you know, I, you know, it seemed rounded and accomplished. And he just seems to, yeah, he just seemed a bit more, just seemed a bit more that way this year. Um, but like I said, the whole system's not really been. Yeah, I, okay. I don't know whether he's missed his mate Sterling because Sterling's been on the left a lot. Well, I, t- I tend to think for some reason the English lads like to pass it to solely each <laughs> other. Like, if, if you watch Stones and Walker, they'll just pass between each other. I all haven't day. noticed this now, and I'm, that's and all I'm going to be watching Wal- for now. And Walker and Sterling was really so good last season on the right, and Sterling's been over on the left a bit more, and Maris has been there, or someone else, or and it's kind of been a bit more disjointed. Maybe so, I'm so, so has, has Walker been trying a lot him. more crossfield balls now? <laughs> just shunting it into <laughs> touch on the left-hand side every time. Um, Gabriel Jesus got the, uh, the last-minute... Goal that uh, that that shorted all up at uh, Goodison. Um, it's 
I find this quite funny, Gaz, that he, he comes in for a lot of criticism, basically, for, two, for, for the reason that he's not Aguero. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's been brilliant the last couple of months, hasn't he? Jesus, you can't have asked him anymore. Well, I, was, I mean, I was getting... The problem I the problem I had with him early in the year is like I always sort of think about it as Jesus like I can't I can't ever sort of figure out what type of player he's supposed to be when he's not playing well like I don't know if you could sort of point to another striker in world football and say like when he's fully developed he'll be like him and I've never really sort of got my head around what it is with Jesus um, because the weird thing is when he got when he got brought in he was he was brought in over Aguero supposedly because he could do the whole um, the, sort of the pressing thing. The pressing, you know, running into channels, holding it up. But now it's got to a point where, well, it seemed to earlier in the season get to a point where you couldn't trust him to do that, and you could only trust Aguero to do that, which was a bit, which was a bit odd. Um, but you know, strikers just go out of form, don't they? And I think yeah, he's had injury problems as well. But like the last last couple of months, he's just been absolutely brilliant. Well, I looked it up last night. Forty goals in eighty-five appearances for City, and he's only twenty-one. So I mean. The... He's no muck, is he? No, and that's pretty good, although he, he has been properly stat-padding this season. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, but who hasn't? Most of, <laughs> you know, that like most of his goals came against like Oxford and Shakhtar and people like that. Burton. He's, he's also... The problem with Jesus at the moment, given like he's only 21, is he still only 21? He's still only 21. Is when things go start going against City, he's like always the first one to start losing his head a bit. And you know, start getting a bit frustrated and sort of chucking himself, you know, about, and that that counts against him. So you'd kind of hope that he'd sort of work through that a bit. Aguero isn't immune to that though. Not in the same way though. Like it was, it, I remember like the three-two derby last year. Jesus was the one I wanted to like walk onto the pitch <laughs> and just throttle him because they they would they were doing the sort of spoiling, you know, for the last 20 minutes and he was getting sucked right into it every single time, a bit pushing and shoving and stuff. And um, you never see Aguero get sucked into that. You see him get annoyed with David Luiz and, you know, jump on his <laughs> knee. But he's not, like, immature in the same way. And, like, and that's not the only occasion where Jesus has sort of lost his head a bit. And sometimes, yeah, he's, he's, he's the sort of... He's the most junior player in that regard. It's... Final word for the first part of the show to uh, to Kevin De Bruyne. Guardiola clearly uh, managing his return slowly and, and making sure that he's, uh, he's sharper week by week. But that being said, uh, he looked knackered when he went off against Arsenal. He was uh, he, he he waved to the bench and went, "No, I, I need to come off now." And sat down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very blunt, and uh, you know, I think we should have more of that in football. You need <laughs> just, to come off. Just no, sit I've, down. I've, I've had enough. I'm sitting down. Sorry, it's time to go. Um, yeah, it was funny because he Pep like praised him to the to the heavens after the Everton game. Said you know he he was so good for that six or seven minutes or whatever. And someone uh, responded to me and said you know he offered more in seven minutes than some of them offered in ninety. And I thought well he probably offered more in that seven than he did in the Arsenal game because he just looked wild in that game and like like things weren't like he's not quite. Last season, it was like he had the ball on a string and he could just say, like, right, it's going right onto that penny over there. And I think he's still fighting for that. But it it was a really good ball um, against Everton to to set Jesus up for the second. And I Did, think... Didn't count as an assist, though, was the Fantasy Premier League um, tweeted. Because <laughs> uh, they, they tweeted, um, goal, Jesus, uh, assist, none. And he replied to it with, uh, excuse me, or something mm. like that. Oh, really? So it's a bit, bit of Twitter beef from him. Though. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he has. He's, he, he's like, he's got that, that streak in him at the moment, that streak of frustration that he's had from being sort of sidelined all season. He's always a bit like that, though, isn't yeah. he? He's, like, he's not a... <laughs> Not the easiest character, is he? No, doesn't take things lying down. But he's, um, yeah. I mean, that's the the exciting thing about watching him at the minute. You never know what he's gonna what he's gonna produce. How much have they missed him, guys? They've missed the De Bruyne of last season, even when he's been playing. I think really because he's he's not really when he's played, he's been you know good. But I remember last year, it was like there was like a whole period where it was like you were coming out the ground and thinking. <laughs> That's another ten. That's another nine out of ten. Ten out of ten performance from again this week. Like even <laughs> as good as everyone was around him last year, he was the like the difference. He's the one that, you know, just 
got the whole team on the front forward, you know, passed through one or two lines of players and, and you know, or, and, and when needed, just, just did it himself, both feet just lashing goals in. <laughs> just, just, he was, he was just unbelievable last year. And he, and he was the reason why City had it wrapped up by, by January. Um, and if they could get, if he could get back into that kind of form, which he's not really had this year, then, you know, City can win multiple trophies. I mean, it is, here, but it is ultimately down to the fact that he's had two knee injuries, though. Surely. Yeah, well, probably, yeah. 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 But um, I've not seen him, like I said, you've seen flashes of it, but like there were games last year where the, 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 you could see it, the team were looking to him yeah. to get get the ball turned around, get everyone forward. And like, I don't think he's been been able to sort of lead the team in the same way this year. You, you couldn't pick a top 10 last year, like top 10 highlights of him. Because like you say, every week he'd just turn up and like do something ridiculous, get smashed by Deli Alley and then just run down the pitch and score. Or I still think that pass like, against Stoke. Well, he, but that, I remember like the run when it was maybe like 3-2 against Stoke and he Stoke were coming back into it and he just decided, nope, I'm going to tackle you and... The Chelsea goal the was the best way. bit last yeah, season. That was yeah. just like for not like talk about big <laughs> players and big moments. Yeah. That was just like incredible. Yeah, yeah. But like you say, there was loads of instances. I'd say, it? all right, you've made your point. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, my uh, my Stoke pass is not uh, <laughs> is not up there. Right. Well, it might feel for City fans that all the luck in front of goal this season is heading to Merseyside. There's been a number of opposition goalkeepers who have had sensational performances at the Etihad, while others have been throwing the ball into their own net at Anfield. Jordan Pickford and Julian Speroni were looking at you. But sometimes you make your own luck through hard work and pressure. And I've been digging through the archives to remember sometimes where City have had the rub of the green. <laughs> There was absolutely nothing lucky about Manchester City's last season, right? Well, wrong. That's if you believe Manchester United fan and eight-time Olympic champion Usain Bolt. Here's what he said about last term when promoting the 2018 Commonwealth Games. It's football. The ball is round. This is one of those things. I think uh, next season uh, we'll do better. For sure, it's not like we're doing extremely bad. I think Man City just had some good luck and they, they, they did extremely well. Uh, but as you've seen, they, we beat them the other day and now Liverpool beat them twice to knock them out of the Champions League. So it's just one of those things, you know what I mean? If you get lucky early in the season, they had a good run and it works out. Clearly, there's nothing fortunate about earning 100 points and a record number of top-flight goals. However, let's not pretend that City never get any good fortune. Thinking back to their promotion to the Premier League in the year 2000, Joe Royal's team rode their luck at times. Needing a point to return to the top flight on the final day, goalkeeper Nicky Weaver watched Blackburn hit the woodwork on no less than four occasions. He describes the fourth, which came while the hosts were 1-0 up. I remember, I'm sure it was actually Ward, hit the post. I'm beaten, I've turned around at the post, it just comes straight back to me. And that's when you're thinking, you know... How could, we can't lose. And City didn't lose. They went on to win 4-1 and returned to the Premier League. Manager Joe Royal explains a funny story that happened that summer. One of my greatest friends in football had been a young secretary at Oldham when I started was Tom Finn, who was then on the board and secretary at Blackburn. And I met him in the holidays and, and he, he was genuinely pleased for us that we'd gone up. And uh, after a few drinks in, in some Vida, I tried to buy those posts and uh, crossbars at Blackburn off him and uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say he got our rights but he told me where to go. If City had been fortunate to go up that season their luck certainly ran out as they tried to stay up the next year. They did have their moments but they were few and far between. A few years ago we asked ex-City coach and then Leicester goalkeeper Tim Flowers about the time that Sean Gota scored past him at Filbert Street with his back. The one I thought you was going to say was um, Paolo Wanchop. I don't remember the Sean Go. I remember Paolo Wanchop um, at Filbert Street backheeling one from about six. He's facing away from the goal. And he's backheeled it and, and beat me down in the bottom corner. I can't remember the Sean Goat one. Listen, that many goals went past me. Now. It's hard to remember them all. Do you know what I mean? But he, he um, listen, Sean. Sean could score off all parts of his body. He had a he had a tendency to choke a shot and scuff it. And as you beat your hand and you look round, it had gone in that little bottom square net by the post. And he, he had an unerring knack of doing that. He was a he was a top striker. But I can't remember the one off his back. But I certainly remember 
One chop beat me with a back heel at Filbert Street, yeah. That was about as lucky as City got that year. Royal explains when he knew things weren't going their way. There was a month when everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for us. Danny Teato scored a goal at Middlesbrough, I think it was, when he ran from the halfway line, went past player after player and smashed the ball into the corner of the net and it was disallowed for Andre Kanchelski standing offside on the other side of the pitch and... And then we had a goal disallowed, I think it was against Tottenham, for no reason at all. And they went to the other end and scored in the last minutes. And that's when you start thinking, you know, maybe Lady Luck's decided, you know, that this ain't going to be for us this year. City did go down that term and Royal was replaced by Kevin Keegan. Fans will remember his promotion season as one of wonderful attacking football. They'll go to remember's one strange goal at Nottingham Forest. It was a stroke of good fortune as goalkeeper Darren Ward rolled the ball straight to the Bermudan striker. I just thought it was strange what, what the keeper done, but in terms of the importance of it, uh, in that game they, they were on top of us and, and they were very much passing the ball as we, we like to do. Um, but I, I just remember it because it was such, such a bizarre goal. I don't think. You know, you could watch football for years and years and, you know, it'd be a long time before you see an, another girl like that. The forward was no stranger to good luck between the posts. He capitalised on one memorable mistake in the Manchester derby the next season, scoring two in a 3-1 win. He describes both strikes. The girls, I thought, were, were, were good girls because uh, I dig one over Bartes as a World Cup winning goalkeeper. So, um, took a lot of joy in that. And uh, the City fans, obviously... The girl, the girl they love, but I think I've even come to love as much, is uh, the, the one that never, never fed me. Um, and it was a great, it was a great ball by him as well. After winning the final Manchester derby at Main Road, Keegan's side then went on to win the first at Eastlands as well. This time it was 4-1, and the third, scored by Trevor Sinclair, came from a defensive mistake too. He tells us what it meant for him as a City fan to score a crucial goal in the derby. It was a dream come true that, I have to say, it was uh, an ambition that I'd had from a kid. Um, and you know, Manchester United were very successful when I was growing up and for, for the majority of my career. And um, you know, I'd always dreamed about scoring a goal against them, and, uh, especially in the like of Man City. So yeah, to envisage that and to realise that, it was, it was an amazing feeling. And he says it was important for him in his first campaign at City too. I was struggling to get into the side and team were quite playing quite well and it was all a bit of a struggle and I remember Steve, McMa I think it was Steve McManaman and uh, Claudio Reyna come off as subs at half time and Kevin went you coming on and I just remember going to the toilet I'm not really a religious person but I went to the toilet and I prayed just give me one 45 minutes um, of a good performance and obviously went back out there I think they got a goal back to make it 2-1 and then I scored to make it 3-1 and opened that two, two goal pushing up so yeah I was delighted to score that only first and only time I've ever took my shirt off celebrating a goal and I think it just showed the emotion that was involved. While those goals came with elements of good luck, they still needed finishing, and Gota and Sinclair both provided good finishes too. However, one City strike at Old Trafford was much more of a fluke, but it gets forgotten about because it happened on the same day as Wayne Rooney's overhead kick. It was City's equaliser that afternoon scored by David Silva, except it was Edin Dzeko's shot that was originally flying wide until it went in off the Spaniard's arse. On the podcast, Dan Burns was somewhat impressed. The goal, the most impressive goal of the day for me, David Silva scoring with his backside. That is, uh, you don't see that very often, do you? I'd like to just say that that was the goal of the day. This incarnation of City is much more remembered for the great goals they score rather than the ones that are a little fortuitous. In the first leg of the League Cup semi-final against Burton Albion, there were nine strikes that beat the goalkeeper, except it's still difficult to say whether Alexander Zinchenko's was intentional. His interview alongside Gabriel Jesus for Sky Sports after the match didn't clear things up either. Was it your intention? Was that a shot or was that a cross? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, a little respect there, please. I know he's crossed to me. <laughs> he's denied you a fifth goal then? Yeah, <laughs> I know he's to me the cross. However, it's not even the luckiest of the Pep Guardiola era. That honour could go to Sergio Aguero's second effort in a scrappy 2-1 win at Burnley way back in 2016. In a move where Yaya Toure should have been given a penalty as he was fouled in the box, the ball seemingly ricocheted to safety, until two Burnley defenders tackled each other and it broke to Fernandinho. He smashed it across goal, where it hit Aguero on the knee and crossed the line. After the match, Guardiola wasn't having any talk of it being lucky though. Two very scrappy goals for you, but relief at the end of the game? Beautiful goals. 
beautiful. So this season might not be going City's way when it comes to the fortunate deflections or goalkeeping mistakes, but ultimately if it's Liverpool that emerge victorious in May, then it won't all have come down to good luck. Well, not unless Usain Bolt is being asked the question at any rate. Hi, this is Steve Howie, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. A look at the times when City have had the rub of the green there. Now it's time to look ahead to the coming game with Chelsea. Um, we are talking before about the, the title race and, and the pressures of, uh, of who plays when and all that thing, all that sort of thing. City playing second this week uh, again, Gaz. How much, how much of the title race this season now is going to come down to, to basically who holds their nerve the longest? Um, I don't know. I mean, that sort of implies that it's, it's sort of getting into the whole, like, is it a bottle job argument or not? Um, and I think sort of as I was alluding to before, I, I, I don't think it's the case that when Liverpool and City to a lesser extent are dropping points this year, it's not because they're bottling it or losing their nerve. It's just that they're they you know not 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 playing as well as they could do. Like I don't think it's a yeah. You wouldn't say like when City have dropped points recently or, or Liverpool, you wouldn't look at them and say they've. They've bottled it. It's just, they've just not executed, a, you know, the the plan. The, the plan, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can sort of tell when a team's the nerves are getting to them. It's a bit different. I just don't think that these both sides haven't been great this year. So when you when you look at, at the game, Simon, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't make any difference then who's going first and who's going second. Um, I think that matters. Yeah, I think it kind of helps and like we were saying before about having points on the board you can make an argument either way surely the year Leicester won it one of the complaints was that they always played first and were able to exert pressure or or, or avoid pressure as it were just by but I don't know I yeah mean, usually like the wronged party is the one who's gone second that's yeah. the thing I mean, you wouldn't want a load of half twelve Saturday kickoffs, would you? Because they're the ones where you seem to get the dodgiest results at the same time. Yeah, I'd much rather play it Sunday on a four o'clock than. Well, yeah, and, and City did a really good job of like following Liverpool all January, and then went to Newcastle and, and stuffed it up. up when they went in front. Um, so, so I suppose in that, in that sense, then when you look at this weekend, okay, you know, City are playing second; they go, they, they host Chelsea, and it'll be be a very tough game. But will we learn a lot about about Liverpool in the fact that they play first and the the three points difference, the opportunity for them to to kind of catch it, to go back on on top on um, uh, yeah ahead of City before all that sort of stuff? Is that are we going to learn about about what they've got in the tank there? No. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think it's Bournemouth at home; like they should win. Because Bournemouth aren't very good. If it's West Ham away, on, they should win on the road. I, I think if they if if they don't win, it will say more about their sort of inability to cope with injuries mm. than it will their their pressure. Yeah, I think it's more to do, if they drop points at home to Bournemouth. It's more to do with the fact that they're whatever conclusions you can draw from that are more to do with the fact that they dropped home points at home to Bournemouth rather yeah. than they had an opportunity to go, you know, ahead of City for um, twenty four hours yeah. or so. Yeah. When I mean, when you look at, at the game then with Chelsea, it, it, Chelsea was City's first defeat of the season, uh, and it kind of kick-started a mini wobble in uh, at, at the end of December. Um, do you sense that there's there's kind of demons to exercise then from from City and Guardiola on that front? Yeah, um, because they were the better team at Chelsea for long spells of that game. For the first forty, whatever it was, forty-four minutes or whenever it was, that they scored, and then they went to where well, they went to pieces after that. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah, I think to an extent as well. But I think City could just use some big games at the moment, you know, to sort of get some sort of energy going. Um, and although they've not been great, this is, like, on paper, one of the big games, isn't it? Um, I think this is what kind of they've been waiting for, like, something like this to... If they can get nine points from this run of games, I think it, I think it says a lot. And it could actually start getting some good feeling pumping round. Yeah, I was going to say, Simon, what would nine points from? I mean, Gaz said about big games. These, this is probably City's biggest week of the season. That's that. That, that this is the last game of. Yeah, and um, and I mean, Guardiola said after Everton, like Chelsea's the one, the one he's interested in. Like it's it's a huge game, and it and that I think because they do play after Liverpool, 
So if Liverpool win, then a day later City are back on top. And if Liverpool drop points, then City have um, stretched, have actually got you know a bit of distance at the top, having still played a game more. But they don't play then in the league until uh, Liverpool have played United at Old Trafford. So I think sometimes it can be better just to batter these games out rather than have the extra time to... Stu- you know, everyone's so great, great for Liverpool that they're out of the Cups because they can just focus on the league. Well, what if they've got like 10 days when they've not got a game and they're it's, not it's on top? It's that losing it's before it. an international break, isn't it? And yeah. He seems to have a lot of time for Sari as well, doesn't he? So he'll, yeah. probably, he'll probably be overthinking it right now while, <laughs> while we speak. Yeah. What, what, he won't sleep for three days. No. Just, just, just sat at home doodling what he's going to do. Um, you mentioned it before as well. Chelsea are a bit up and down this season. It's difficult to know what to expect from them. It's, I mean, does that, does that make you feel a bit wary about them? No. I'd rather be playing... Sorry, I keep, I keep absolutely pissing all over... The, the premise of all of your questions. I'm just, just trying to start a debate, that's all. But no. <laughs> no, you'd rather play an indifferent Chelsea than a good Chelsea, wouldn't you, I think? I think, and... Um, we kind of... We kind of due... You kind of, like I said before, I think, although we've not been playing well, we're kind of due a big performance and a big game, and this is like a, they're a decent foil for us because there are sort of gaps in that team... Um, that you can sort of get at with Chelsea. Um, the, the the only sort of counter narrative is Higuain, isn't it? And whether he can sort of get going against us. But by all accounts, he's you know not not looking great recently himself. So <laughs> that's nailed on hat trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Simon, you you mentioned as well the the fact that that uh, the cup games are coming up. They can focus. The they've, they've kind of focus goes away from the Premier League after yeah. this one. Um, it's Newport uh, in the weekend after. With a full week leading up to it, does will that that will that impact Guardiola's thinking? Any is he is he going to look at it and think, well, actually, you know, all of the players that I've been rotating, they can play in this one and say no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to think, um, I would like to think that he will play quite a a weak team at Newport, but I I can just picture him working out a way to get. De Bruyne, Gundogan, <laughs> Silver, and Bernardo into that team on a mud bath of a pitch. Rodney Parade. Yeah, yeah. Um, I must take the cup seriously. Um, I think that it should be like it's a gimme, isn't it? They had a few years where they had some very tough cup draws, and this season has just been a, an absolute dream. Someone's forgot to warm the balls at some point this season. Well, I think it's the uh... but I mean because United are playing Chelsea as well in the. Uh, what are we? Fifth round. Fifth round, know? last yeah. 16. So the quarterfinals, you're going to have one of United or Chelsea and then I think Wolves are the next. Watford are still in it, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, um, Watford, like Palace, those kind of teams. But you couldn't ask Who'd for... Who'd lose a... to Palace, eh? <laughs> <laughs> you, you couldn't ask for a nicer draw. So, and, and uh, Guardiola's never won it. Um, but having said that, I think he can probably give Phil Foden a game at Newport and still win. <laughs> Um, one final question in the build-up to, to to Chelsea. Well, I mean, it's, it's a funny one. Where's Riyad Mahrez? Where's he been? What's like what, what's happening? He's on the him? bench. Have you not seen him? Yeah, but I, I, he was he was a key player in the in the big games at the start of the season. He was the one that Guardiola mm. was turning to in the big games, and just hasn't been seen for for weeks for for, for any real length of time. No, I feel a bit sorry for him because like I think like he's really been under the microscope, hasn't he? And I remember there was like a period. Um, of good form in the autumn when I thought he was playing really, really well. Um, and it was while Sane, you know, was nowhere to be seen similarly now. Yeah. And I guess it's just like sort of the opposite of that, isn't it? At the moment. I, I really like him. Some people, some people seem to have a bit of a problem with I like him. him. Um, but I think getting that signing right was really difficult because you have to get the right players to fit into that system. It's so sort of dependent upon it. And, and it does work. And not only does it work with him in, He's a different type of option, and I think the type of game, the type of game, the reason why you might have seen a bit less of him as well is because I think the type of games he's brought him in for are definitely at the slower ones in the in Europe, where he might need to pick a bit of a lock, uh, and obviously we've the, the you know the Champions League has gone you know hiatus over 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 Christmas and New Year, so that's probably why you've seen him a bit less. But you know maybe when we, those games roll back around again, you might see a bit more of him. 
Right, so there have been two wins in two games on the charity bet, and it's taken the total for the season up to £783. So well done to John Hay and Michael Kashani last week. We're raising money for the Christie, which is a cancer hospital in Manchester, and William Hill has given each of the panel a £10 correct score single on City's games. Can we make it a hat-trick? Probably not, but let's have a go anyway. Uh, Gaz, what are you having for, uh, for your scoreline for Chelsea? Uh, like I said, I think we're going to uh, give someone a hiding in a big game scene. a 4-1. A confident 4-1 is 18-1, so 180 quid if you're right. So uh, I... I'm hoping you're right. Uh, Simon, what are you having? Slightly less optimistic, 3-1. 3-1 is 10-1, to 1, so £100. I've gone slightly less optimistic on that one as well and gone 2-1 for City, which is 13-2. <laughs> Nobody to fancies two. the clean sheet. Nobody no, fancies no. the clean sheet, but 13-2 and £65 if I'm right. Got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change, and for more on responsible gambling, visit begambleaware.org. Now then, Howard Hawkins back. He's got a bee in his bonnet this week, all because of a tweet by one of the press pack. Here he is. started with a tweet. It always does. Sadly this time it came from Barney Roney. It read, Sympathy for Liverpool last night who don't have City's special sponsorship bottomless resources, who are missing three defenders and who just looked a bit thin and stretched. Ah yes, poor poor Liverpool. Before I lose the plot at the latest example of journo nonsense, we should probably delve into a bit of context first. Of course, part of this was simply Barney covering his back, backtracking, in the area of wild headlines and wild articles with wild claims that can be made to look foolish very quickly. Thus, Barney's proclamation that Liverpool would not freeze and let their lead slip last week looked on rather shakier ground once Liverpool themselves went on and drew two games, while City won two of their own. But what really baffles me, what that tweet, amongst others, highlighted, is a lack of logic now utterly rampant in much of football journalists' thoughts nowadays. You see, Barney dug in and came up with this gem of a fact to back up his own arguments, or his initial tweet. They, Liverpool, have spent £150 million in five seasons. Man City have spent £500 million in five seasons. These figures may or may not mean something, but at least know what they are. Ah yes, the patronising tone of a football journalist. Well, some of them anyway. And boy, what a stupid, stupid argument. Because the figures he was quoting are, of course, net spend. And let's cut to the chase here. Net spend is utterly irrelevant as to how well a team should do. It's staggering that I even have to point this out, that you blues listening to this have probably worked it out for yourself, at least. If two teams are put together for £500 million, as I pointed out to Barney, with no reply naturally, then they should have an equal chance or expectation of success. Where the money came from, be it a rich owner or sales or sponsorship deals, is irrelevant. They cost the same, the two teams, which in Liverpool's and City's case is a hell of a lot, and thus are not some plucky underdogs beating the system and winning against all the odds. And you can stretch this point further. It's called simple logic. Cost in itself might be irrelevant too. Perhaps value is a better guide. Now if Robertson is bought for £15 million but is now valued at £50 million, shouldn't we expect him to perform as well as a City player bought for £50 million and still valued at that? If James Milner lets his contract run down and moves to Liverpool for free, should we expect nothing of him because he costs nothing or accept that the value is a consequence of the Bosman ruling and Liverpool have themselves a £30 million player and thus he should perform accordingly, which he has? And that's before we look at signing on fees, wages and many other costs beyond simple transfer fees. Such a poor argument. After all, if City had sold Yaya Torre and Samir Nasri for big bucks a few years ago, would Barney Roney be now excusing our Newcastle performance because our net spend over the past five years was less? Yeah, right. And why five years anyway? Why make up that period of time? It's made up nonsense and it's getting tiresome especially from journalists whose writing I enjoy and whose views I used to admire. I don't expect much positivity for City, considering the business model and the vast amounts that have been spent, but making Liverpool out to be the poor relative surviving and indeed prospering off cheap cuts and hand-me-downs is one joke too far. Another key point for me whilst navigating the daily Twitter grind is that your Barneys, Michaels and Miguels are never knowingly wrong. They make proclamations but never take on board dissent, differences of opinion or change their viewpoint, which makes you wonder what the point of their tweet was. 
to educate us minions? Hey, we're probably all the same, entrenched with our particular views. It's all so confusing. Liverpool fans, if they fall short, will no doubt claim that they can't compete with City's resources, as some of the blinkered Liverpool press pack are already starting to do at the first sign of a blip, while spending all season telling us that they have the best left-back in the world, and the best front three, and the best central midfielder, and so on. So which is it? I guess it must mean your manager is a fraud then. The sort of graceless fraud that would claim getting a big decision from a linesman cost his team. It takes cojones to come out with drivel like that. Anyway, what an interesting few days it has been, with many more twists and turns to come no doubt. Raheem Sterling is top of the league, or as Liverpool fans would point out, joint top. Everton was a stressful 90 minutes, no doubt about it. City, like their competitors, are not clicking through the gears with ease right now. And for all those at or close to the top, it feels like we're entering a period of attrition. Results are king from now on, and I suspect that plenty of points will be dropped. The relentless pace of the first half of the season cannot be maintained. Therefore, every hard-fought victory is to be cherished. It could make all the difference. But rather than discuss the ins and outs of the victory, my thoughts have turned to something else. The fact the game was played on 6th of February. You see, the moment the draw for the semi-final of the Carabao Cup was made and City avoided Spurs and Chelsea, effectively guaranteeing another trip to Wembley in late February, a possibly important subplot opened up regarding the Premier League title race. Now firstly, Sky's plans went out the window. That random fixture list we all pined for in midsummer had conveniently paired up again a Manchester versus Liverpool double for the same weekend, and Sky were all over it. Not any longer, as City have now got other plans that day, and thus the game was brought forward and not back as most assumed, with no TV coverage in the UK, as was already an FA Cup replay being played in front of the cameras and a few thousand hardy souls at the Hawthorns. More importantly, the Rupert Murdoch's weekend plans, however, is the effect this isolated fixture could have on the title race, and the effect was entirely dependent on the result. If City had lost with Chelsea up next, the title race would have swung hugely in Liverpool's favour once more, many a blue bemoaning the placement of the fixture in between two other big, troublesome league fixtures. A draw? No sweeping conclusions would have been drawn. But City won. City went top, for a few days at least. City suffered no injuries, even after Laporte decided to run full pelt into an Everton player and knock himself out. The referee even allowed Fernandinho to tactically foul with impunity. It all went swimmingly and now the placement of the fixture looks very handy indeed. City will not win the quadruple, that much is clear to me. They may win nothing, but when we reach the business end of the season, the team could still be fighting on multiple fronts with two very winnable cup ties approaching. Should City or United progress through the next round of the FA Cup, and City really should, then the Manchester Derby fixture will have to be put back until later in the season. With that in mind, the last thing City needed was a tricky game to play at Everton too, a situation that would push even City squad to breaking point, and thus a fixture that originally looked very badly placed has proved to be a blessing in disguise. And whilst a week might be a long time in politics, it seems it's an even longer time in football, as Barney Roney discovered just the other day. Hi, I'm John Macken and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Hear all of our city interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Howard Hawking there. Now it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. This is the bit where you send in your questions. Do it on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast. You can send us an email through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. And that's exactly what Graham Davis has done. He asks, should City fans look at Jurgen Klopp's recent demeanour and feel confident? Simon? Um... Yes, he looks he looks rattled, doesn't he? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, show me a a bad loser, and I'll show you a loser. That kind of thing. But Guardiola is often sort of very rattled and angry when he loses. But the first thing he always says in whatever tone he feels like saying it is congratulations to to the opposition, and and it it didn't feel like there was an awful lot of uh, awful lot of what, what's the word I'm looking goodwill. for goodwill goodwill is yeah yeah especially for a man that 
screwed Pellegrini over in the Champions League <laughs> as well. <laughs> I was going to say, so, it, like, it, like Howard said in that piece there, it, it takes balls, doesn't it, for a man to come to, to, to stand in front of TV cameras and say, well, the referee didn't didn't do us any favours when he when the, when the two chances you, in that game. You're surely thinking like, like don't, draw, draw don't the attention away the from ref. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a press officer, don't speak about the ref. Do not speak <laughs> about the. And it, you know what? The ref was really bad tonight. You're like, yeah, he was for your team. Um, it was, it was strange, but also I thought um, Andy Robertson coming, uh, Virgil Van Dyke came out and said the ref made some strange calls, etc. And Andy Robertson was asked about if they were under pressure now they'd lost, and he kind of came out and said, no one, no one said asked that about City when they lost, and maybe he doesn't listen to this podcast, but we definitely did. Yeah, yeah, yeah like everyone did because it's the champions have lost the game. It's it's the league leaders have lost the game. So it it was a very strange response. They're not used to losing, they're not used to dropping points this season, so so maybe that's it. But I mean, the one hope could be from a city perspective is that um it is so all in with Liverpool. Like, I was just driving... Oh, it's eggs. Yeah, I know what you mean. Eggs in one basket, isn't it? Yeah, when I was driving up to Goodison, you'd drive up to Stanley Park for the car park and, you know, you so many signs. This is Liverpool. We are Liverpool. It means more. And it, it's, you know, it's almost, it's almost religious. And so maybe if there are cracks in that, then they will sort of show themselves more over more time. But, yeah, it, it, it was just... It may, maybe it was a one-off, but it, it was a very strange reaction sort of from all of them. I don't know about I you, I don't know about you, but it, it feels a little bit like, I mean, they could, I could be completely wrong about this. They could this weekend um, sort themselves out and, and, and kind of refresh themselves and get back back to winning ways. But it felt like they were really close to pushing the panic button. Yeah, yeah, and it was funny because I watched the game and West Ham started really well and then they got the goal and you kind of thought, oh, that's, you know, that's game over really. And just as they scored three minutes in against Leicester and you think, well, that's game over and that that's what they've been doing all season, just, you know, dominating and controlling as soon as they, they get in the lead and it was quite strange to see them uh, just not react, and it was actually a very clever West Ham goal because I think Mark Noble pushes Naby Keita right at the the moment of the free kick. So it was, you know, probably a, a foul if anyone had spotted it. But West Ham were just better for the the ninety minutes, and certainly anyone who remembers City dancing all over West Ham when they went down <laughs> there, it it was just strange to see. Right, that's where you heard it here first. City for the title. That's the views of Simon Bykowski <laughs> from the Manchester Evening News. Uh, Stuart Hawkins has been in touch on the emails to ask, I know it's only a couple of games, but are there any concerns about David Silva slowing down? Gaz, I'm going to throw that one to you. Um, I don't know if I've got... I think, it, like, like as I've alluded to before, or, um, that uh, there's no need to be overly concerned given that there's other options there, particularly. Um kind of been here before haven't we with him a few times I sort of thought oh is he is he on the way now and uh, um, he comes back to yeah, prove you wrong he, he came he? back so I mean even I mean so even if it was the case that this is it now he's he's which you know would be you know a mass you know there's that there's no reason to think that this is it now but even if it was the case that this is it now maybe it's actually quite a good time it wouldn't be a bad time for the for the club just to sort of move on um you know bernardo silva's in that position phil foden needs to make a step up um i hope it's not the case but even if that was what is happening i wouldn't be too you know too distraught about it given given how healthy we are in that position at the moment the thing is for me just on when that question came in it made me realize that actually We've probably seen David Silva's best days, and that sounds awful to say, given how he can still influence a game. But like, he's not what he once was, even as good as he still is. Yeah, I mean, I think I can't remember many games recently where he's been, you know, you, know, you say, oh, everything went through him, or he, he was, well, you could say everything's gone through it, but like, he was been the best player in the park, or he was the difference today. He's he's now just a very good 
just he's he's a very good element of a of a of a, of a good side. Um, you're not looking to him anymore to be the sort of difference, you know, providing the sort of match winning pass because there's other players around who can do that. Um, so yeah, you probably have seen his best days, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, I don't know how rueful you can be of that because uh, he's still all right, and you know, <laughs> there's other good players around. It. I think, I think, um, you know the. The, the the worry is if you, you if we start having this conversation about someone like Fernandinho or even Aguero to an extent when you'd think right what does that mean moving forward but we're, we're quite well covered aren't we in this these, these conversations are coming though so you, yeah. you, you brace yourself for them yeah. uh, right well that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast if you'd like to get a little bit more there's a bonus show available for Patreon backers of $2 a month or more that's about £1.50 a month for 4 or 5 extra podcasts all about random city topics this week's is on Manuel Pellegrini at City after he gave his backing to the club in the title race this season if you've not seen there are some changes coming to the Patreon page as well from next season including the option for you to appear on the bonus podcasts as well it means February is the last month where you can sign up to get the physical rewards like mugs, bottle openers, badges, all that sort of stuff. So if you want to get your hands on one of them, then you need to sign up before the end of the month. There are more details about the changes on our Twitter feed, at Blue Moon Podcast. But for this week, that's it. Special thanks to my guests, Gaz. Cheers. And Simon. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. Take care. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast